This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. As we are based here in the UK, all times are in BST. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 1st to the 7th of May. I'm Ezzie Pearson, the magazine's features editor, and I'm joined on the podcast today by our reviews editor, Paul Money. Hello, Paul. Hello there, Ezzie. Looking forward to this week. Lots happening in the sky. Ah, that's great to hear. So what is going on in this week's night sky? Tell me more. Well, we we can't avoid it, but, you know, Venus, it really does dominate and will do, I have to say, for several more months, which is good if you like Venus and it is a brilliant evening star at the moment. On the first, it actually lies between the horns of Taurus, so the two stars that mark the horns. It's a little bit close to the one that's part of Origa, so I think El Nath, but uh, it's still you know, near enough on a line with them. So, you know, it's one of those things in the twilight. You should be able to pick them out and allow it to sort of get darker. So although it started about half past nine when twilight's still up, search around the sort of like northwestern horizon towards Venus and see if you can still see the Pleiades. Um, they, they're struggling. They, they're almost at that point of disappearing. And we mentioned them last week. And the thing about this week is that this could be the week we lose them completely until July, August. So, you know, that's, uh, and they'll move then into the morning sky. So everything that drops into the evening twilight and disappears into the glare of the sun re-emerges in the morning several months later usually. So we've got Venus sort of thing dominating as always around about minus 4, 4.3, minus 4.3. So pretty bright. Um, and, uh, it's one of those things that again, if you've got a really darker, it's, it's worth trying this. You could try if you've got no light around you, no light pollution. Once it gets darker and Venus is still up, just see if you can see your shadow cast by Venus. Pete Lawrence did it. I've only seen it once because I've got a lot of light pollution. So you have to get away from the light pollution. So there's no other source of light. And you've got to let twilight finish so that it is a dark sky. But then just says, but the only problem at the moment is we've got the moon up. Yes. So, of course, the moon will cause problems. You've got to do this when there's no moon. But it's something to think about that Venus casts enough light to actually cast a shadow sort of thing. And Pete Lawrence did a great one some years ago. He actually managed to do a photograph and did a, a, a did a series for us on how to do that, which I thought was absolutely brilliant because I wouldn't have thought about doing that until uh, he did that. I didn't even realise it was bright enough to cast a shadow. So uh, there you are. I've heard about people, you know, the moonlight uh, is enough to, some people can even read by it. It's so bright sometimes if it's a full moon. But I hadn't heard of being Venus casting a shadow. So that is very interesting. 
It is. As I say, we, we'll, we'll probably come back to this when we've got the moon out of the way because uh, it is well worth it as such. So that'll be in a few weeks' time. Now, in the meantime, of course, it is moving up through Taurus and it will actually end up in Gemini. So it is moving rapidly through the constellations, but this is partly because of Venus's own motion and partly because, of course, the Earth's motion around the sun is making those constellations sink lower and lower into the twilight. But we've also got Mars higher up. It forms a bit of a sort of like triangle with Castor and Pollock sort of thing. But it, from our viewpoint, from the horizon, directly looking west, um, about half past nine, Mars looks as if it's directly below Pollux. So, you know, it's that the Pollux is the yellowish star of the pair. Castor is very white. And of course, he's a very tight double star as well. So another mm -hmm. one uh, well worth having a look at. But uh, Mars keeps ahead of Venus. They, it, they don't get close together until late summer. And even then, they don't get a really close conjunction because of the, the way our solar system, the mechanics of the solar system works. Venus will drop back before it actually encounters Mars, but uh, they will get reasonably close, but that'll be summertime as such. So Mars is keeping ahead of Venus. It's like sort of chase me, chase me, sort of thing, <laughs> you know. Uh, you won't catch me yet, sort of thing. And Venus won't catch it just yet. So that was May the 1st. May the 2nd, let's go back to the moon, because I always like it when it guides us to certain stars. And on the actual second, it's quite close, just to the right of Porima, Gamma Virginis, which is a very tight double star, well worth having a look at if you've got a telescope. In fact, there are years when it's so tight you can't separate them. Mm. So we're in a period at the moment where we can actually split them. So this is the time to see it as a true binary star. I always find that fascinating, that you, there are some stars that their motion is enough that we actually get to see it and observe them getting wider and then closing up again. So we're seeing two stars actually orbit each other. Most things are fairly stationary, aren't they, in the sky when it comes to the stars. It's one of the reasons why I quite like the planets is because you can see that the entire universe isn't static. It's everything's in motion. It's just very, very slow. Uh, well, it's not very slow. It's actually incredibly fast. It's just very, very big. Um and so we can't usually see these kinds of motions. But the fact that, you know, that there are things out there, you know, people have been tracking expanding supernova remnants and things like that. We, we, there are times when you can see the fact that everything within the cosmos is actually moving. Yes, it's fascinating. I mean, you think of Barnard star, you know, if you take photographs 10 years apart, you can mm. clearly see the motion, that sort of thing. You know, so uh, it's one of those projects I kept promising myself and I've never done it. I really should kick myself. I really should do it. So back to the moon then. So we've had it going past Parima on the second. Now, when it's quite close to Parima, it does mean that the next night there's a good chance it'll be above or close to Speaker or Spiker in uh, Virgo. And it is the brightest star in the actual uh, system and it's Alpha Virginis sort of thing. So it's the brightest star technically in the constellation of Virgo. But the moon is beginning to get fuller. It's a gibbous phase now. It's heading towards full. So of course there's a lot of light there. So a lot of the fainter background stars, the galaxies in Virgo sadly will be washed out as well. So this is why it's best to observe the moon, have a look at some of the details on the moon itself. Now, as it is, sadly, I couldn't exactly find a decent event for May the 4th. So I can't say May the 4th be with you. Oh, dear. Oh, I just did. Sorry. I'll <laughs> apologise for that. It's terrible, isn't it? I mean, it's funny how these things fall down and, and get into local astro folklore now, <laughs> sort of thing. But there we are. So we'll jump to May the 5th. And we've actually got the moon again still. We're still in the evening sky. We're looking at about an hour later now, about half past 10. And it's directly below um, Alpha Libra. 
Now, Alpha Libra is that really long, uh, <laughs> it's a strong twist in it, Zuban El Gnubi. But it actually means Southern Claw because it's a throwback to when Libra was actually originally part of the constellation of Scorpius. Mm. It was the claws of the scorpion until it was decided that it was, it was dominated. There was enough bright stars to make it stand out on its own. So it became the scales of justice Libra instead. So there we are. But the names of the stars have the throwback to when the actual constellation was part of Scorpius instead. And Zuban El Ganubi is a wide double star. You can see it with binoculars sort of thing. So uh, well worth having a look at again. So I say it's always good to use the moon as a guide to some of these stars because often they're not just single. They may well actually be double as well. Then we get to May the 6th and we're following the moon still. And from Libra, it does go into Scorpius. But before we get there, there's a problem because full moon occurs on May the 6th. Now, why do you think that's a problem? Well, that's also the peak of the Eta Aquarius meteor shower. And I am absolutely sure there'll be media, stunning meteor display tonight on the 6th, etc. Completely ignoring the fact you've got a full moon and the full moon will wash it out. And that's the disappointment because a lot of people get excited, go out and don't see anything. And seasonal observers like ourselves know that you, you generally don't bother. Yes, that is one of the, the kind of big dilemmas with meteor showers because normally if there is the moon and it's it's not full full there will be a couple of hours that you might be able to to get out there and see it even if you can't see it for the whole night but unfortunately if there's a full moon it usually means it rises at sunset and sets at sunrise so it's going to be up the whole night long so you're not going to have much luck there um i also think the eater aquarius aren't one of the mo more prolific showers. They are. They don't have as high a uh, ZHR, zenithal rate, rate, which you should always treat with a pinch of salt anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, the trouble is the zenith, zenith hourly rate is literally under absolutely perfect conditions, looking yeah. straight up. They, I think it was Pete Lawrence that turned around and said that, uh, you know, you, you literally, you want to halve it and then you want to halve the number again. Yeah. <laughs> and then you might get somewhere near. I will say we've... Not been particularly kind to this year's Eater Aquarius. There are some really good uh, meteor showers coming up throughout the rest of the year. In fact, uh, six meteor showers throughout the year will have the moon out of the way, including the two biggest ones, the Perseids in August and the Geminids in December. So keep an eye out for those. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Star Diary podcast and we will give you all of the details about those when they roll around. So... Perhaps give this one a miss, but do be aware there are some good meteor showers on the way. I mean, it's interesting. There are so many minor showers that most people don't even know about that we we don't publicise because they're probably one or two meteors per hour. And as we've just mentioned, sort of thing, that basically you have to be really dedicated <laughs> to watch the sky for that. It's almost the stage where you're probably just as likely to see a random meteor as you are to see one of these. Exactly, yes. And of course, the random ones can be anywhere across the sky. Whereas, you know, if you can trace them back to the radiant, then you're, you're a better chance that you're actually seeing a genuine meteor from that shower. But I've seen pictures where somebody said, Oh, I've got an, a, a Perseid and it's completely the wrong direction, wrong angle at all. It's actually around about five showers 
on the go at that particular time. So, you know, the, it, they aren't just one shower. I think that's one of the things is that there are multiple showers and they build to a peak. And we always mention the peak because that's when you have the best chance to see them, don't you? But the actual showers usually have a build up and a, and a drop back. So about a week or two beforehand, they build up from zero to the peak and then they drop back down. So you can see meteors on either side of the peak. It's just that we tend to concentrate on that because that's when the general public have a better chance to see them, don't they? You know, we, we like to give them the best chance to actually see them. Okay, so the moon is just past full on the 7th. So finally for this week, in the early hours, and yes, it has to be the early hours, it's around about 2.30 in the morning, look towards the south. You've got Scorpius actually up, but you've actually got the moon in Scorpius as well. It lies directly below Delta. In fact, it lies between Delta and Pi Scorpii. So they're best around about 2.30 in the uh, sort of morning. And uh, look towards the south, and you'll also see the red star Antares to the left of the moon as such. So uh, the moon is to the right of Antares, Antares to the left of the moon. So therefore, you can see that as well. And that sort of fits. It, it, it's, it's nice. For, I mean, if you're a late night person, you know, well worth having a look at. Sort of and in the south, that's when it's at their best. Scorpius is at its highest for us. Everything gets to its highest in the south. So technically, that's when we should observe them. But obviously, events don't behave themselves normally, do they? <laughs> well, that's it, Ezzy. Well, certainly a lot to be catching up with this week. Uh, to summarise, on the first, we've got Venus will be right between the horns of Taurus the bull. Uh, plus, it will also possibly be one of our last chances to see Pli the Pleiades this week. Mars will also be making a triangle with Castor and Pollux on the first, so keep an eye out for that. Then on the 2nd to the 3rd, it's a great chance to take a look at the double star Porima, uh, where the two stars are quite far apart at the moment, so you should be able to see those clearly. On the 5th, a full moon will be next to the double star Zelbin El Ganubi. Then on the 6th, uh, we have the Eta Aquarius meteor shower, but possibly wanting to give that one a miss, as it will also be the full moon. Then on the 7th, the moon will be next to Antares in Scorpius. So lots of things to catch up with this week. But thank you, Paul, for taking us through everything you can see in the night sky this week. It's a pleasure, Ozzy. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our Sky Guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes, or Spotify. 